Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. So this morning, I want to share with you from Acts chapter 20. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and make your way to Acts chapter 20. And we'll consider verses 1 through 12 in a sermon I'm calling Four Fundamentals of Christian Encouragement. But we're only going to get to the first two because next Sunday uh, we're going to have the opportunity to baptize, I believe, eight people. Yeah, I'm excited. And, And maybe more, right? Because there might be someone here this morning Uh, who knows Christ but hasn't been baptized and and you need to walk in baptism or someone else who like you're you're right there you're almost ready to trust Christ and maybe who knows in the hearing of God's word today you would believe on Christ and join us next Sunday in being baptized I would be super excited if that would happen Um, so however God chooses to work we're just going to cut the sermon in half today and then we'll we'll hit the next uh, two points next Sunday so I'm going to cover four fundamentals of Christian encouragement from Acts 20, verses 1 through 12. And you got to remember, last week, there's an uproar in Ephesus, right? Paul is preaching the gospel, and not everybody's happy about the impact of the gospel in Ephesus, and there's been an uproar. But Paul has been resolved in his spirit that he's, he's going to get to Rome after returning on sort of an encouragement tour through the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And when you see Achaia, just think Greece. All right, so, so Paul's mission after he leaves Ephesus is not evangelism. We often think about Paul as the evangelist, right? Man, Paul was just great at sharing the gospel. But Paul was also an encourager. And so he's going back to churches he's already planted to encourage them. And what the disciples need is encouragement. They need encouragement because Paul isn't going to be around forever He's going to get to Rome, and he's never going to see these people again, and he wants them to endure in the faith so that there will be a faithful witness to King Jesus long after Paul is off the scene. This is not new for Paul, right? We've seen him encouraging churches in chapter 14, 21 through 25, chapter 15, 36 through 16, 41, chapter 18, 32, and now this morning in chapter 20, verses 1 through 12, we will see Paul, after his three years in Ephesus, encouraging the churches that he started back on his second missionary journey. Would you hear with me Acts 20, verses 1 through 12? After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead And we're waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, 
When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart for the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we, where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. Would you pray with me? God, we, we ask this morning that we would depart not a little comforted. We, we pray that we would depart greatly encouraged. God, that wherever we are in our walk with you, that we would not grow complacent. God, that we would not grow weary, but we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and that we would walk in endurance and in perseverance and in uh, an awareness of the fullness of joy that is in your presence alone. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage begins and ends with encouragement. In verse 1, Paul only leaves Ephesus after encouraging the disciples one last time. He's been there three years, and what does he do? He doesn't just get out of town. He's like, hey, let's huddle up one more time. i got to encourage you one more time. In verse 2, he gives much encouragement to the disciples throughout the Macedonian churches. And in verse 12, the disciples in Troas were not a little comforted. And interestingly, the word comforted there is the same word that was translated encouragement in verses 1 and 2. So we've got in this text, in verses 1 through 12, we have an encouragement sandwich, right? The bread of the sandwich is encouragement. Encouragement in 1 and 2, encouragement in verse 12, and then this content that we have in the middle. Whenever I read a passage like this, and I've shared this with you previously in sermons from the book of Acts, whenever I see Paul encouraging the churches, I'm like, man, if a church planted by Paul needs encouragement, what do y'all think we need? I mean, you think we need to be encouraged? I mean, if they, had the, if they had Paul, who encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, just super capacities as a, as a leader and a proclaimer of the gospel, then certainly we need to be encouraged. The, the profound impact of encouragement is difficult to capture with words, but encouragement just does something in us, doesn't it? It just quickens our step. When somebody takes notice of us and, and blows encouragement into our sails, there's, there's something profound and important about that. George Adams, I think, gets it right when he says encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. This word encouragement has a wide range of meaning in the Bible. It can mean to bring comfort to someone who is hurting. It can mean to build someone up and to help them see what God is doing in them, even when they don't see it in themselves. It can be to prepare someone for something that God will yet do in them that they haven't even anticipated. It can be also to beg of someone, not, get, not to give up, to implore someone, don't let your circumstances take you out of the Christian life. 
Don't let that hardship or that adversity that you're facing cloud your view of an infinitely good God who proved his love for you. In this, he came down and wrapped himself in our humanity to take our place and give his life on the cross. Be encouraged. God loves you. He's for you. He wants your best. It can be to exhort, to keep going, or to keep trying. And in the case of the believer, encouragement is ultimately unto the end of faithfulness or endurance with joy in a world that, let's face it, we live in a world that wants to suck the oxygen out of your soul. And the way we put oxygen back into the soul of the believer is through encouragement. So encouragement can, can include sort of positive things, right? Noticing something that someone is doing well and might even do better, but it can also include warning or admonishment when it is delivered with the right motive and in the right spirit. So, so how do we capture encouragement sort of as, a, as an image? I, what I get the picture of is, is like a coach of a team, right? Who wants the overall climate of the team to be that of encouragement, trying to put the entire team and every player in the best position for success so that the team will be as successful as possible and every individual player will play to the maximum of their capacity and their abilities. The, the goal of encouragement is to, to build us up in the faith, to help us keep our eyes on Jesus, to feed the Holy Spirit and to crucify the desires of our flesh and to lead us to endure with joy in a world that wants us to quit. The world wants you to quit. The world did not want you to be here this morning. The world wanted you to say, it's 34 degrees, they said it might sleep, therefore I'm not going to church. That's what the world wanted. But you're here, and I praise God that you are here, because we need to be together to be encouraged in the gospel. And we need it constantly. Marita says this, we must encourage one another constantly. Our, our hearts are fickle, sin never sleeps, Satan is at work, and the gospel is of first importance. Do you believe that? The word encouragement is a word also used of the Holy Spirit, is it not? It's the same word. It's just the verbal form of the word parakletos. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete. He is our comforter, our encourager, our helper. John 14, 15, and 16. He has come not only to unite us with Jesus and empower our witness, but also to encourage us to keep on pursuing Christ and living for His glory. How does the Spirit glorify Christ? One of the primary ways is by encouraging the church. And in this text, we find four fundamentals of Christian encouragement, two of which you'll get this morning. And I hope you'll come back and be encouraged next week for the next two. The first way that I think we see in this text to be encouraged is that our lives must be saturated with the Scripture grounded in the Gospel. Our, our lives must be saturated with Scripture and, and grounded, therefore, in the Gospel. As Paul makes this encouragement tour, we've got to remember this is the last time he's going to see these people. He's never going to see these Christians again. And in verse 1, he summons the Ephesian disciples one last time and he encourages them before departing to Macedonia. But what in the world does it mean that Paul encouraged them? How did he encourage them? Well, if we keep reading, we find in verse 2 and, and later in the text that encouragement for Paul 
almost always means preaching and teaching. You say, well, that's not my form of encouragement. If you're a Christian, it is. If you're a Christian, you can't step away from the need to hear the truth of the gospel regularly such that you would be encouraged. What is the fuel for the Holy Spirit that unites you with Jesus? It's the Word of God that the Spirit authored. You want to feed the Holy Spirit? Then give the Holy Spirit the truth of the gospel that the Spirit authored. In in verse 2, as Paul travels throughout Macedonia, he gives the disciples, do you see it, much encouragement. Literally, the Greek says this, he exhorted them with a word, a large one or a long one. Uh Uh-oh. What did Paul do? He preached and preached and preached to the people that he's only going to see this one last time. What did he do? He didn't just hang out and have high fives and have a nice sandwich. He preached and preached and preached. So guess how I'm going to illustrate today's sermon. Just kidding. I I am not going to argue this morning that sermons always have to be long, but sometimes they should be. Sometimes the the thought uh, that is continued through the text is such that it demands a 45-minute sermon. To, to, do, to give fair treatment to the text. And if we want to be encouraged, we need to come ready to hear long sermons sometimes. My, my goal, I don't, I don't say a successful sermon is a long sermon. In fact, I, I prefer to preach shorter, and I'm trying to do better at that. All right, so my argument is not, hey, we always need to, to preach long. But we know instinctively, do we not, that last actions are lasting actions. And last words are lasting words. And what does Paul do as his last action? He goes long in encouraging them from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's got one last shot. I'm telling you, last actions and last words matter. Not, not long after Stacy and I moved from Raleigh back to Roanoke and, and God allowed us to, to serve Christ here, my mentor, one of my mentors in the faith, my pastor from Raleigh, gave me a phone call and he said, Daniel, I need to let you know something. I've got a very aggressive form of cancer and I've got months, maybe weeks. (laughs) He was ready, but I wasn't for that. Two weeks before he died, we had a, a long conversation. And it was the last time we ever spoke. And at the end of the call, this is what he said. Daniel, I I was sharing with him some of the trials and the burdens of ministry. He was a seasoned pastor in his 60s, and he'd seen a lot in his life. And this is what he said. Daniel, God has called you. He's gifted you. His hand is upon you. Keep trusting God. Lead them to love God by, by obeying his word, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid was the last thing he ever told me. Lasting, last words are lasting words. There is not a week of my life that has gone by since that phone call that I haven't thought about his encouragement. Paul, the father of these believers, desperately wants these disciples to finish well for the glory of God. So what does he do? He gives them the gospel 
in abundance. He's got one last shot. And what does he do? He reminds them of the promises of God and of their fulfillment in Christ and of the joy and the privilege of continuing the work of Jesus on earth until he completes it. Do you remember how Luke began the book of Acts? He said, I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do. And now that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus' work is continuing. Where is it continuing? In us, his church. And I, I suppose that this is what Paul is saying. Jesus is still ruling and reigning and he's doing it through you, his people. I, I imagine the things that we read in his epistles are the things that he was sharing. Indeed, he probably wrote the book of Romans from Greece during his three months in Greece. So what is he saying to these believers? You're justified by faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Later in verse 7, when Paul has made it to Troas, we learn the disciples came together on the first day of the week, which was a, a Sunday, and they came together to share a meal together, and Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. Do you see that down in verse 7? Literally, this is what the Greek is saying. Paul discussed with them, he persuaded them, He made persuasive arguments to them. Why? Because he knew he was going to depart the next day. He knew he was going to leave, so he made persuasive theological, biblical arguments in the last time he would ever see them. Do you you feel that? Have you ever had a a goodbye with someone? Maybe you lived in another state and you're not going to come back and like, like, this is meaningful. This is our goodbye. And we, we may not see each other on, on this side of, the, of eternity. This, this is Paul. He's got one last shot. And I want you to feel in your core this morning, into your bones, what Paul is doing. He loves these people deeply. He loves Jesus supremely. And he's got one last night with them. The people are tired after a day of work and Paul has to travel the next day and what do they do they gather at dusk and Paul teaches them theology what that's what he does and not just a little bit of theology right look at verse 7 it continues he prolonged his speech until midnight come on Paul I mean dusk to midnight is what five six hours of theology why, why does Paul do this? He, he does it because lives and churches that are encouraged by the Word and with the Word are lives and churches that are positioned to endure with and for Jesus. This is a deep expression of Paul's love. His greatest expression of love for the church is word-shaped encouragement for the churches. What is Paul's love language? Teaching the Word. Why? Because we need it far more than we realize. Indeed, after even Eutychus, poor Eutychus, we have a, we have a window in our house. Um, we have more than one window in our house. Uh, we have windows in our house. Do you have windows in your house? We have, we have a window in our house. Um, but it's like a long window, and there's no like bars in there to protect you, and it's like you stand next to it by the dining room table and you kind of feel like hey I could I could fall out the window if I wasn't very wise and uh, 
Samuel up in uh, kids ministry last year, maybe two years ago now, they learned about Eutychus falling out the window during Paul's long sermon. And um, he came home, it was later in the week, I, I walked in and he sits in the windowsill and he goes, hey, look, Dad, I'm Eutychus. <laughs> All righty. My son is, he's a fun guy. Eutychus, Eutychus dies, y'all. Paul preaches for six hours. Eutychus falls out a window and dies. And, and the power of God works through Paul to raise him from the dead. I'm thinking, you know, that's time to be done with the theology lesson, right? What does Paul do? He's like, man, y'all have already broken bread. I should probably eat some, pause and eat something. He eats something, and then he goes right back to teaching in verse 11. What? He converses with the saints until daybreak. Now, conversing is different than persuading. He's already persuaded them, so this conversing, the, the verb is more like dialogue. So like when we do sermon discussion and application on Wednesday night, that's more like what's going on. People are like, hey, Paul, when you said that about Moses and Exodus, because you preached the whole Bible in six hours, um, t- tell me how that applies in my life right now, right? So there's this dialogue going on from, from the resurrection of Eutychus until daybreak. I, I love Paul. He's just, just teaching. Brothers and sisters, there's no substitute for the right preaching and teaching of God's word for Christian encouragement. We've got to hear and digest the word. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, what does he say? Devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Later in 2 Timothy, he writes, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... In trust to faithful men who can teach others also. In other words, what I've taught is what you need to teach, and you need to find guys who are going to teach what I taught you and what's been taught because the truth doesn't change. The truth that was true for Paul and the church in Paul's day is the truth that is true for us. Then in chapter 4, verse 2, he writes, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, repre- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching in a world where there is constant pressure, constant pressure to cook up spiritual encouragement in a metaphorical microwave, we've got to remember that God more often uses a crock pot. We've got to simmer and marinate in the truth of God's Word. D.L. Moody says this in Preaching and Preachers, the decadent periods and eras of the history of the church, in other words, those eras that haven't been that great, have always been those periods where preaching has declined. What is it that has always heralded the dawn of a reformation or a revival? It is renewed preaching. And where there's renewed preaching, there's also been among the people of God a renewed commitment to hearing the word preached. Beloved, we need more than a TED Talk, more than a TikTok video or a five-minute devotion. We have got to marinate in the Word of God, consider the Word of God, behold God the Word in His Word, and tragically, probably not you because you're sitting here this morning, but tragically many Christians are missing out on this fundamental life source of encouragement because either they don't regularly come for the sermon, or even when they do come for the sermon, they're not actually ready to hear it. Is this on? 
Tony Morita, a phenomenal pastor who wrote a commentary on the book of Acts, took this moment in his commentary to talk about the readiness of the Christian to hear the word. And here's what he said. I just want to summarize real quickly. He said, look, if we're going to lean into the word together, we've got to listen humbly. We've got to realize that we need God's word. I'm not standing up here because I like to hear myself talk. I'm standing up here because God knows what we need and we need to hear the word of God. We've got to listen humbly. Don't listen with a grudge or a spirit of arrogance. Don't allow familiarity with the text to block your desire to meet Christ in the hearing of his word proclaimed. Secondly, listen intently. Do whatever you have to do to stay engaged with the message. Chew bubblegum. Say amen. Sit in the front or take notes. Fight the urge to fall asleep and mentally check out. Listen biblically. Use your mind to weigh what is taught against what you know of the Bible in other places. As we're thinking about encouragement this morning, some of you, maybe your mind went to Moses when the Israelites are at at battle and when he lifts his hands in prayer, they're victorious. But when his arms begin to falter, they begin to lose. And maybe you get this picture of his brothers, Aaron and her, lifting his arms up because we need to encourage one another. Listen biblically. Listen personally. Listen for yourself, not just for that person at the end of the row who needed to hear that. Yeah, that guy who's nodding off. He needs to listen. Listen communally. Listen for the good of your brothers and sisters. Who knows? It could be that you might hear something that one day you'll be able to use to encourage someone else. Listen missionally. Don't be just a receiver of the word. Be a reproducer of the word. Think about where you can share this and who you can share it with so that they might be encouraged and edified in the gospel. Listen practically. Think about ways you should change your behavior based on what you have heard. And listen finally and perhaps supremely. Listen gratefully. Did y'all know God spoke and he didn't have to? He didn't have to tell us who he was. He could have stayed private. He could have stayed silent. He could have left us longing and groping about in the darkness, but he spoke a word that is the life source of encouragement to our life. We ought to be grateful that we get to hear from God this morning. To remain encouraged in the Christian life, we've got to see the word as our lifeline, and we've got to crave it like these early Christians hearing Paul, their father in the faith, for the last time. Secondly, we've got to be meaningfully engaged in a common mission alongside of other believers. Meaningfully engaged in a common mission alongside of others. At the end of verse 2, we see, we learn that Paul completes his encouragement in Macedonia and then heads for Greece where he stays for three months. And when he's in Greece... The Jews make a plot against him, so rather than heading for Syria, which is the region where Jerusalem is located, he decides to foil their plans and retrace his steps, right? He's going to go back uh, a longer way home, back through Macedonia, and around by foot rather than sailing to Jerusalem. In this case, the, the plot of the Jews is not foiled by a miracle, but by just plain old common sense. Apparently some Jews know that Paul is going to go head down to a ship, so he changes his travel plans and slips out the back door. I want you to see this morning, sometimes, as in the case of Eutychus, God delivers supernaturally, but sometimes he just helps us understand what we're facing and gives us the wisdom to deal with it. In this case, he's got friends, associates, who are with him in the ministry. 
We don't know how Paul learned of the plot against him, but perhaps it was one of these gentlemen who was with him. We, we find a list in verse 4 and 5, a list of men drawn from many of the regions where Paul had planted churches, most likely a delegation that was accompanying Paul in the work of taking the relief offering that we read about in other places to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And this delegation includes seven companions. Peterson summarizes them for us. So Peter, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, together with Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, emerged from Paul's second missionary journey. Gaius of Derby and Timothy of Lystra were the product of his first journey, although Timothy didn't join Paul until the beginning of his second missionary campaign. And Tychicus and Trophimus, the Asians, were most likely recently converted in, during his time in Ephesus. These men, why are they named? Why do we find them in the text? We find them there because God is reminding us that what's going on is more than just Paul. Paul is very important, but there are other Christians and believers behind the scenes who matter to God and they matter to Paul. We know they matter to Paul because Paul names them in his letters. He prizes them as co-workers and co-laborers in the gospel. In this case, they are helping him to bring encouragement to the saints in Jerusalem in the form of a financial relief offering. And here's the reality, church. God's desire, not just for Paul, not just for your pastor, but for every Christian, is to be encouraged with other Christians in the work of strengthening and encouraging his church and in the spreading of the gospel. I can only imagine the encouragement that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem eventually felt when they received these gifts from primarily Gentile Christian churches. And to be sure, sharing one another's burdens and griefs and joys brings encouragement to our souls. But don't miss this, so does working alongside of other believers for the good of the church. We all need encouragement. We all need to find our place in the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul reminds us that God saved us to be members of His body. Not to be solo, but to be a part of the body. And when we find our place in the body, there's, there's joy in working for the health and vitality of the body. Church, living lives of isolation and distance from the church brings discouragement. You want to be discouraged in the Christian life? Just find another excuse to step away from the body. Find another reason to, to miss that next event that your 3D group holds. Find another reason to be late to class and then so late to class that you didn't make class one more time. If you want to be a discouraged Christian, then isolate yourself from Christians. Does that make sense? You say, well, I don't want to be discouraged. Well, neither do I. <laughs> then get in the body. Get in the family. Get on mission. Join the parking team. Join the greeting team. We've got slots for you in, in both of those. Just get here, get here five minutes early and be a smiling face and, and welcome somebody. Just, just a little extra intentionality and leaning in rather than just passing through like ships in the night goes an incredible long way to bringing encouragement and health and vitality to the body. God has saved us into his body for the good of his body. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 19. If everybody was a single member, where would the body be? If it was all about you, then where's the body? There, there wouldn't be one. 
Here's how I translate that verse. If the church is a collection of individuals doing their own thing in their own way for their own reasons or on their own timeline, you don't have the church. Jesus died to save the church because it is saved people working together under the lordship of Christ for the good of the church and the advance of the gospel that redounds to the glory of Christ. So church, I want you to get in on this encouragement. And to get in on the encouragement that God has for us, we've got to get into a local church. You know, in sports, team sports, there are starters and there are bench warmers. I got good news for you. Nobody in this room today has to be a bench warmer. Not a single one of you. You all matter in the kingdom of God. You all count in the eyes of our king. God has something significant for you to do in his body. And if, you, if you're here and you say, I don't know what that is, I will talk with you. Ethan will talk with you. Hope will talk with you. We will work with you until we find that place. And sometimes it comes by trial and error. You don't even know what your gifts are until you get started. And you do 10 things that just don't feel right. And number 11 is it. But get started. God has a place for you on his team. And one of the greatest places to get started is in a small group where you share your burdens, you share your needs, you, you have class parties, you do functions together. Get into a 3D group and get connected. Don't put it off to 2024. Do it in 2023. It's still January. You can still make a resolution and then keep it. Let's do it. Let's get on the team. And of course, it's more than just being on a team, right? We got to be good teammates. You ever had bad teammates? Just tear you down at every turn. Well, you didn't get that hit that time. Can't believe you didn't turn that double play. There's some people, man, they just, just get you. Let's not be those people. Let's be encouragers. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, right after he reminds them of the gospel, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's, let's get here on Sunday and Wednesday and in committee meetings and in class functions and let's build each other up. This is not our natural tendency, is it? It's easy to find fault in everybody else. In our flesh, we drift toward discouragement, not encouragement. Marita, again in his commentary, says, look, if we want to discourage people, how, we know how to do that. Be harsh towards one another. Be critical towards one another. Be angry with one another. Envy one another. Disrespect one another. Avoid one another. Show no patience with one another. Gossip about one another. We know how to disrespect one another. But the Spirit of God wants us not to do that. He wants us to crucify that and encourage one another. And we ought to encourage one another because of what Jesus has done for us. Ought we? In spite of who we are and what we were, Jesus came down to substitute himself for us. So how can we be encouraged this morning? Part one, we can crave the word of God and we can join the team. We can crave the word of God and we can join the team. Some of you, it's time to join the team. You, you've been attending, you're a guest, you've been visiting. Some of you aren't sure yet. But whether it's this team or another team, you got to get on a team, all right? And when you're ready, we're ready to be on Team Jesus with you at North Roanoke. And all of us, we need to, to cherish and treasure the hearing and the heeding of the Word of God. This morning, 
If you know Christ, but you've been neglecting the encouragement that comes by hearing the word or by being with God's people, it's time to get engaged in God's mission. It's time to be encouraged and get in the game. And if you don't know Christ, as our worship team comes, I want to encourage you to respond to the opportunity to know and believe and trust in Christ and to be encouraged. Not encouraged in a superficial way, but by the deep and profound truth that God came down to save you. A truth that the Spirit will remind you of in the hearing of His Word and in the participation of, in a team until Christ returns. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it conveys. And God, I thank you for the men and women in this room and God, their desire to magnify and honor you and to be encouragers and to be encouraged. God, I pray that you would help us in this, that, that this team, this church, this family would be a group of equippers and encouragers and that Christ would be magnified as a result. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.